0: Hello, I'm Hey, okay. oh, let me uh, connect my microphone. Your brain? Sorry?
1: Connect your brain.
0: Yeah, that too. That might be a unfeasible task, however, but let's
1: see. <laughs> what the fuck? You broke it. It's broken. Your audio is broken. You, you you sound like you've stuck your head in a bucket.
0: But it sounds bad on your side, or? No, now it sounds okay. Okay. I didn't do anything, but... <laughs> Technology. Sometimes it's, uh, do-nothing is uh, better than doing something. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yes. Good. Now all I need is a beer. So just one minute. So it's German Bock Weiss beer. I've gone for a, a Danish beer. All right. Yes. Is that is that, a, is that a Christmas beer? Because I specifically requested for Christmas beer. No. No, it's just a good beer. Okay. Very nice.
1: Just a good beer. I. Uh... I opted for a good beer, rather than a Christmas beer.
0: All right, let's go.
1: Let's go. Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming, the podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought
0: leaders as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry
1: pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Sonctu. This is FinTech Daydreaming.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fintech Daydreaming. My name is Ville Sointu, and I will be your host for this special Christmas episode, now that the holiday season is smack in the middle of all of it here in uh, December as we are recording this. But again, I wouldn't do a Christmas episode alone, nor would I do any episode of Fintech Daydreaming alone. Uh, And that's why I have my co-host Paul here. So, Paul, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, although I'm already fed up with the snow there's oh. way too much snow i mean having <laughs> having to dig your car out twice a day is to me it's too much
0: yeah it's and much. i mean we just we just talked about this the uh, we're recording this christmas episode and you know according to our tradition every christmas special we have to have beer so like half an hour before we start recording i realized i don't have any beer so i had to actually go to the uh, to the supermarket and uh, yeah it is the snow is just insane it's, it's practically horizontal right now yeah. and uh yeah it is a bit of an adventure to go out there uh, and i agree i think it's enough uh, just enough for christmas and then after christmas it can just go away uh, as far as i'm concerned I, I do
1: believe there is actually a christmas song that very adequately sort of sums this up right it's snowing outside and we've got nowhere to go so and uh fire is lit and i'm not gonna sing but you know roughly how the song goes and right
0: yeah yeah i think well at least all the finnish christmas songs are slightly depressing or actually very (laughs) depressing sometimes so uh yeah let's not get into the christmas song spirit you know what we should do you know what we should do go ahead We should ask this
1: chat gpt to write us an uplifted finnish christmas song
0: (laughs) Yeah, we should. And now you're yeah. kind of getting getting to the uh, to the top one of the topics we wanted to cover today as well, uh, which is of course Chat GPT. Uh, we've been uh, we've been both obsessed with this little thing now uh, for a couple of weeks that's been out, and, I, and there's a lot to, lot to talk about. But before we get into the Chat GPT stuff, dear listeners, the idea for today's episode is that no, we will not have any guests today. Uh, the idea is that we will walk through what we have learned uh, throughout this season six of, of fintech daydreaming and uh, reflect a little bit on how, how everything went down did we learn anything uh, or did we uh, mess up completely maybe we can even see if there's uh, something we can take away uh, to to season seven but in order for us to get into the, all of that i think uh, your segue to chat gpt is quite interesting because in my mind uh, during this season six, which we started in uh, in August, I believe, uh, and uh, now now being here in December, between August and December, I think as far as any new technology goes, fintech or otherwise, I think Chat GPT is the most important milestone that we have seen during this period, yeah. uh, at least. Uh, and uh, I think uh, it's going to have implications in fintech and beyond uh, quite a bit. So, what is your take on it, Paul?
1: I I completely agree with you. And it's interesting, if I, if I sort of look back on what I've been saying for the last two, three, gosh, maybe four years, you know, I've I've been very vocal and forceful almost on this notion that the future of banking will be dominated by platforms. And as we go more and more into digital, there is still a deep-rooted important need for people to get advisory capabilities when it comes to money management and and financial literacy and everything else and i think there is there's almost a dichotomy here there's an issue where the banks for all the right reasons as far as the banks are concerned are closing branches they are pushing more and more to to digital Um, they want to have all the interactions being digital they want the the customers to be self serving um, and so on and so forth, but at the same time, they need to find new ways of engaging with their customers, they need to find new ways of driving revenue. They need to go from a output based model to an outcome based model and at the same time, the world is becoming increasingly complex and and there is more and more risk more and more uncertainty people are finding themselves more and more scared about what's happening with the economy what do they do with their money should they invest in in stocks or is the stock market going to crash what's going to happen next year there is a desperate need for people to have that i would almost say human relationship back with their banks i believe to be able to to get that advisory capability, to be able to get that relationship, to get that hand holding, right? And I think I, I think I, I've been saying for a long, long time that for this to happen, for the banks to be able to give that advisory capability in digital channels, there is a desperate need for truly driven conversational AI. And and I, I mean playing with chat gpt for the last couple of days i'm excited about where this is going the only thing that's missing is almost that text to to chat or 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 voice to to text etc right that enables everything that chat gpt is doing to become voice enabled yes there is still some elements and we've covered this in a number of episodes around you know, bias and regulatory compression, compression, <laughs> regulatory <laughs> pressure, etc. But I think once we get past those and an element like chat GPT can deliver voice activated advisory capabilities to the masses, it's, it's gonna change the game completely.
0: Yeah, I think it's almost ironic that you mentioned that uh, banks want to get back to this human connection and it's that we need an artificial intelligence in order to get back to the human connection. Because, I mean, that's one of the things uh, that is a takeaway when you talk to chat GPT uh, is that it does feel human like it feels natural, you're not really feeling that you're talking to an AI. Even though it actually makes it quite clear, so it almost like jokes about itself sometimes uh, that I'm an AI, and uh, and that's part of the fun uh, of that because you also learn that it almost like a, has like a personality. Yes. But everything you said, I, I completely agree. I think the uh, these uh, these these types of technologies, uh, I mean, they are fairly limited still, but incredible in terms of uh, making this technology available for. Uh, for large masses the these are the technologies that will democratize the uh, the access to to financial advisory services for instance so this will allow banks and fintechs to really scale uh the uh the services uh, to a much lower price points uh, and ultimately this will mean that financial inclusion will become financial enrichment uh, we're gonna have uh this uh, vision vision of uh your all, uh, own uh, little financial advisor in your pocket at all times, because uh, you will have an artificial intelligence that will be looking at your finances, it will be looking at the broader markets, and it will give you advisory services based on, on that data set. And uh, again, uh, your own behavior and your own preferences in terms of what you want to do with your wealth uh, moving forward. So, so but, I mean, we've heard this story so many times, but again, <laughs> And that's one of the things that the t- takeaways for, for chat GPT as well for me was that now it just everything just seems to click together. I mean, uh, ultimately, I, I noticed that I didn't really believe that all of these AI experts that were even on our podcast talking about these things, you were just thinking about, well, you know, look, look at what the chatbots are today. They are fairly yeah. dumb, especially the ones that are deployed at banks of today. So uh, they are useful, but they're very, very limited and clearly just scripted uh, robots rather than some kind of an intelligence on the other side of that conversation whereas with chat gpt that changes completely it, it understands dialogue it understands it uh, context it, and it uh, brings in information from multiple dimensions and multiple perspectives and it challenges its own conclusions as well so you're able to almost have like a debate with it which is just amazing so yeah it is indeed and i i i there's another element to this which
1: which for me personally becomes very important my my dear mother who i i you know obviously we all love our mothers um she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um about a year ago and and I can already see the effect of that you know i I helped her set up Apple pay and she struggles with remembering how to even activate Apple pay or to get the card ready to to be able to pay and and very simple things. So, it's not just financial literacy, it's also digital literacy as, as we move more and more into this digital world. Even, you know, I read an article in, in the local newspaper that said, even though Finland is one of the most digitally native countries in, in the world, or, or in Europe at least, there are still a large percentage of people that still feel that they need hand holding and, and, and support in, in that world. Now, if you can take chat GPT, and and take it outside of the context of just the banking app and back to you know delivering um outcomes rather than output you know how fantastic would it be utilizing that in a voice activated way for instance for my mother to be able to pick up her phone and say i need to pay for my shopping and and you know the the phone will automatically put on apple pay it will automatically get everything ready there's there's no need anymore to to remember how to press a button. It becomes part of a dialogue that you have on an ongoing basis with your advisory friend, your hand holder in your pocket. It's, the the future
0: seems so fantastic at the moment, I think, uh, with all of this coming together. Yeah, I think to me, at least, this was almost like an iPhone moment. I mean, I, be, I remember when the iPhone first came uh, came out to the market, my first reaction as uh, somebody who had been already working in mobile uh, banking space and mobile devices for, for many, many years at that point in time. I saw the specifications of the iPhone and I thought, well, how is this going to change anything? I mean, it's so much worse than all the 3G phones that we already have coming out from Nokia. We already have Sirius 60. We have all the applications, everything. And iPhone is not able to support apps at that point in time when it came out. But as soon as you touched it, as soon as you got your hands on an iPhone, you realized that this will change everything because it, it, uh, it's, it's so intuitive. It's so much, all of the things that uh, all the other manufacturers have been working on for such a long time, just came together on the iPhone and the form factor that they invented there uh, in a way that was unparalleled with anything else. And, and uh, that feeling I got when I first used uh, JetGPT, uh, because again, this was the time when all the AI hype came together and suddenly it is all there, accessible and continues to amaze uh, even after a few weeks of usage, it continues to amaze all the time. Yes. And maybe so, we should point yeah. out
1: that this episode is not sponsored by GP or <laughs> <The> Apple. <laughs> by this opening. episode is sponsored by Villa and myself, our own free time and our joy and interest in talking about all of this stuff
0: that is right but that's actually a great segue let's talk about the uh what are the risks and what are the downsides uh, of having something like a chat GPT and I'll start mm-hmm. so the uh, one of the things that you realize when you talk to chat GPT is that because it's a it's a pre-modeled AI which basically has derived from certain data sets that they they are not actually disclosing what those data sets are they're just saying that they are it's data up until the end of 2020 year 2021 yeah. uh, and when you get answers to very specific questions, uh, typically gets it right. Sometimes it just hallucinates things that are not even real, and that that begs the question: How is this trained? How will it learn? How am I able to be certain that certain things are actually true? Who is verifying these things, or is it just confirmation bias based on the? Uh, on the data sets and their responses and conversations that it's having. While ChatGPT is doing a much better job at that than many previous attempts, including the infamous one done by Microsoft, where they had to turn it off after a very short period of time because it turned racist. ChatGPT is not doing that, but it still begs the question. When when the access to information becomes this easy, then uh, again, it has, a, it has a lot of power in terms of steering people into direction that it actually wants to. Mm-hmm. And that is the number one thing for me, the takeaway in terms of risks for ChatGPT GPT is that we need to have some kind of an assurance mechanism behind it that allows people to identify the sources of information and the validity of information that it's actually telling you. Uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done uh, in that space.
1: But particularly when we get into banking and advisory capabilities, because advisory yeah. capabilities cannot be a black box, right? That there's compliance that, that actually states that if a bank gives you advice, the bank needs to prove how that advice was formulated, particularly when it's financial advice, what it was based upon and how that end result was was gained. So if you're using AI, and we've had these discussions on on podcast episodes, you need to be able to prove, particularly from an AI perspective, you know what was the data used, what was the algorithm used to get to that result, and why was that biased result uh, given at the end? To be able to to prove what it was all based on, right? And and as you're absolutely saying, if if Chat GPT is currently a black box, then then you can't use it in in that context for you know banking, etc. You're absolutely right. I mean, I saw lots of posts on on social media saying that this is the Google killer. So I, I decided to try and, and use it for, for the last two days. I've done any, any and all of the Google searches that I've done. I've actually done on both. Right. And you, you very quickly get to, like you said, uh, chat GPT will will very quickly say to you, well, I'm not going to give you analysis results uh, and those sort of things. I I asked it something like, what are the top 10 banks in, in the Nordics? And the answer that it came back with was, uh, you know, I won't give you market analysis and those sort of things, where mm-hmm. Google will give you that. But I did ask it, you know, what is the oil capacity of a Porsche 996 from 2003? And it did give me that, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> Right. And, and, and unlike Google, where Google would actually just give you, you know, 15 pages of entries to blog posts and, and forums and everything else. This gave me a very nice sort of sentence back that said, you know, Porsche 996, it's this and that car and, and the oil capacity is dependent upon the size of the engine potentially. And <laughs> models have got these engines. And if that's the engine you've got, then this is your oil capacity. <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> exactly but uh but yeah I mean I agree I mean for market information and all the things that it has deemed to be uh well business information it's basically keeping out at this point in time but that's more of a design decision than a limitation of the AI but uh, referring back to one of the things you mentioned which is that we need to uh, banking specifically needs AI that uh, the bank and ultimately the service provider is able to explain how did it come into the conclusion that it just arrived in? Because that is actually, for example, part of the upcoming regulation on AI coming from the European Union. So the European Union has uh, has this ethical AI uh, regulation coming up and uh, part of that is is the necessity to be able to explain critical AI uh, algorithms as they describe them, and how, how did they come up to the decisions uh, that they did? And a lot of pushback has been around that question, exactly. Oh, wow, my uh, my garden is making some noise here. What on earth is that? You've got bees <laughs> loose in the apartment. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's my hydroponic garden that uh, apparently just ran out of water. So it's, <laughs> the pump is making a lot of noise. So uh, dear listeners- Was that the episode joke? Yeah, that's the uh, this is the blooper uh, for this episode. The, uh, of the episode, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. So uh, as soon as my garden is done, uh, I'm going to continue with my explanation uh, of the uh, of the AI AI question because the uh, again a lot of the pushback from the industry was that you're not able to explain what machine machine learning does. Uh, machine learning is uh, is the way it is. It's supposed to be uh, a little bit abstract because it, you're not able to explain how it actually came to the conclusions that it did. However, if you if you do interview chat GPT, it will tell you exactly how it came to the conclusion. So uh, you can do that on a very abstract level as well. So you can tell it to, for example, tell a sarcastic joke about podcast called FinTech Daydreaming, and it will tell you a very nasty joke about uh, our podcast. And then uh, you can ask, well, why did you think that joke was sarcastic? Or why do you think that joke was funny? And then it will explain it and then you can give it feedback so you know that is actually not funny because XYZ and then it will uh, probably use that uh, partially for learning in the future so so yeah it's uh it's exciting times but hey look we've been talking 20 minutes now i think about gpt which actually i think it deserves it to be fair enough uh i think i
1: think it does because it's going to be one of the main trends for for next year i think technology trends yeah i think we're we're
0: gonna have to do episode or two maybe next year uh on on just this topic for sure i think there's a lot of opinions and people are learning more and more uh, about how it works Uh, so I think we're gonna have some AI experts talking about that next year uh, for sure. But before we get into next year, uh, maybe we should uh, look back a little bit on the uh, on the things we did uh, this season and uh, did we learn anything uh, from this uh, fantastic guest that we had uh, on the uh, on the on this season? And if I recall correctly and I'm looking at the list of episodes here in front of me, so I don't actually need to recall. <laughs> so our first guest was Anthony Day, uh, the uh, uh, the host of the podcast Blockchain Won't Save the World. Uh, and uh, I think that was a great kickoff to this season, to be honest, uh, because the um, some of the things that we left hang- hanging in the air a little bit in season five was really the Web3 metaverse whole NFT conversation, which was riding high uh, at this uh, at the end of the summer this year. And uh, Anthony was uh, the exact right guest on the, at the exact right time. And I think we had a good candid conversation. Everybody knows uh, that uh, uh, I'm, I have turned lately into a bit of a crypto cryptocurrency and blockchain cynic. Uh, and uh, I think Anthony did a great job balancing that uh, that conversation uh, because again, he's very optimistic about all these things. So what was your the main kind of, uh, Thing on top of your head about the uh, anthony's episode but it's it's interesting because i think there's been
1: so much development since we had that episode as well yeah. uh, you look at you look at what's happening with with crypto exchanges going bust and people ending up in jail and mark zuckerberg now being beaten up royally for you know investing way too much money into a pipe dream of metaverse that no one can explain or believe in or, or anything else i mean blockchain as a technology i i still believe blockchain has a place i still i'm still partially excited about distributed ledger technology metaverse i still think it's a pipe dream I'm i'm really sorry someone is going to come and smack me over the head but i i you know it's second life all over again Um, And and maybe maybe we're going to find something somewhere along the line, but it's at the moment, it's a technology looking for a use case, very much like blockchain was and still to a certain degree is technology looking for uh, uh, an opportunity, a a use case. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting with the discussion with Anthony was the clarity that he gave us around, well, what really is Web3, Mm -hmm. what is Web3? supposed to be giving us and it's not metaverse it's you know loosely connected to metaverse but it's that that transition to data ownership to uh democratization of of data um, uh, the ownership of data the um identity of individuals identity ownership etc so i thought it was a really good uh episode i learned an awful
0: lot um yeah, and I think that's a good reflection that things have things have a lot of things have happened after yes. the, we recorded that episode. So this was pre FTX, this was uh, FTX meltdown. Uh, this was pre a lot of things that we've seen uh, seen in, the, in this happening in this space. And again, the the point you make about blockchain, I think there is again there's something to be uh, built on distributed infrastructure. But I, I think we all agree. That the hype was overblown uh, quite a bit, especially when it comes to the enterprise blockchain side. And uh, this year, we've seen the collapse of many of the uh, perceived to be successful blockchain projects, including one that I was involved with, which was the uh, the We Trade uh, Trade Finance solution. Oh, we were both was, uh, involved in that. Yeah we were indeed yeah. and we saw TradeLens uh just uh, just now announcing it's going to get uh, shut down as well uh and I mean ultimately both WeTrade and TradeLens I actually I actually like those solutions both a lot I mean and, I'm, I'm very biased of course on WeTrade but uh, but even TradeLens made it made a lot of sense but the uh I think the reason why those failed is that uh well I think it's the famous philosopher Mike Tyson who said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, and uh, that punch was really the reality of uh, new technology and new dreams meet the reality of what do you actually need to do on the ground uh, to onboard people to, uh, to get that last mile done in a, in a good way. It doesn't matter how good the infrastructure is, it doesn't matter how good the governance or the tech is, if you're not able to reach the customers, that actually use these solutions, then you will fail. Uh, you will not scale. scale and, uh, and again, you're, even if you might have the problem correct, if you're not able to deliver the solution to the customers, then uh, you are failing. Yep. And uh, that's that's especially with blockchain technology seems to be, and even in crypto to a certain extent, seems to be the issue. They. Uh, People are getting dreamy, dreaming about the infrastructure and forgetting about the last mile. I think that's the uh, takeaway uh, from all this blockchain hype at this point in time. Let's see how it evolves in the next five years,
1: although without us going off at a tangent here, which we very often do. Um, but most of the diehard supporters of Bitcoin couldn't care less about the actual technology underneath. Right. It's mm. the, 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 they've got a completely different agenda. But I don't think we're going to go down that rabbit hole. So, um.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's let's instead move on uh, in yeah. the, uh, the list of episodes because we have a lot of all to cover. So, the next episode in uh, was uh, was episode two, which was uh, with uh, with Mister Open Banking, yes. and uh, and uh, we were just wondering how do how do we pr- pronounce his name? But then uh, we remember the the rule of thumb. It was uh, L A backwards, so it's A L C one who is Mr. Open Banking again has his own podcast on the open banking topic, and this is of course a crowd favorite. or Our listeners tend to uh, appreciate uh, episodes talking about open banking and how that how it's actually being deployed. And uh, I think the, the the blue-eyed optimism of uh, of Al on the uh, on this topic was uh, was a really fun to fun thing to observe. Uh, and uh, again, we had many episodes of open banking before we had even two uh, two or three technically on this season, uh, and we we're going to continue talking about open banking next season as well.
1: Oh, we absolutely will, because open banking is by no means dead. I think open banking is a foundational part of that journey towards open finance, open data. Uh, it has enabled us to to take that that journey towards what I keep talking about you know the future of banking will be dominated by platforms psd 3 mm-hmm. is just around the corner well just around the corner ish um mm-hmm. which i believe psd3 is going to be very much focused on back to you know uh, identity management uh, back to a real focus on on security uh, etc so i think strong strong customer authentication will be a big part of PST three but that um, it, it was eye opening to to get the like you said very positive view from Mr open Bank and himself and uh, what he sees as being the future and it was actually quite cool to bump into him and have some time with him at Cyboss um, shortly after we did that episode.
0: Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, true. We we have a cyber special as well in this season, and uh, yes. we can touch on that uh, soon as well. And uh, I mean, just my five sets on this: uh, we're going to see an update on PSD two. So it's going to be called PSD two point five, or uh, and and soon, and then the PSD three soon after. Uh, but ultimately, I think we will start forgetting about this whole uh directive uh numbering and all these acronyms and it's all going to be part of this scheme of embedded finance and open finance uh so we're going to have platform-based banking we're going to have platform-based services and who is best at delivering those into digital channels will of course be the winner so the um so i think we're going to forget about this and it's all going to be like a big embedded (laughs) a uh, super bowl of uh, of a- apis and services that's uh, that's gonna win the game and uh yeah we're gonna see a lot of this happening next year uh, yeah. i think yeah Oh, moving on with the episodes, we, we again one of the mega trends, of course, is cloud. So we had Howard Bowell of, uh, from IPM uh, as a reoccurring guest. I think yes. we had a few few uh, repeating guests, and Howard was uh, again being a very high profile person, being the former CTO of Bank of America. It was always a, an honor to have him uh, on. It seems he seems to like the podcast. For some reason, don't know why, but the, but uh, but yeah. So he talked about cloud, multi-cloud specifically, and mm-hmm. the uh, uh, the ability uh, and the necessity to actually not uh, marry yourself into a, a single cloud provider and be able to have big. Well, neutral. It was an interesting discussion because, again, him representing IBM, it was not obvious that uh, he was going to go for the multi-cloud approach and instead just promote the IBM Cloud. But I think he took a very leveled approach uh, into that that topic, and again, was seems seems to be genuinely behind the multi-cloud approach. Uh, now it's a whole other discussion whether I actually agree on running multi-cloud <laughs> in a real environment, but I think Howard made made a very good good uh, convincing argument that you should go for multi-cloud.
1: And I should probably be, you know, uh, partially quiet about what, what I think here. I don't know. I mean, I work for IBM, right? So. <laughs> 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 um, and and therefore the answer from me is of course it is hybrid yeah, cloud. I mean, it is about Red Hat right. OpenShift <laughs> and it is about you know transferability of workloads from one cloud provider to another and and therefore cloud native is a dangerous thing. But but actually there is there is a point to to all of that, right? If if you think about very often when I get into discussion with banks, they talk about vendor lock in fear hmm. of vendor lock-in you know do they take a, a large ISV package from a specific vendor and, and they're scared that that means that they end up with vendor lock-in and and you know to some degree they also say you know they've had vendor lock-in with the mainframe they they tied themselves to the mainframe 40 whatever it is years ago and therefore they've been stuck to IBM ever since but at the same time they say oh yeah yeah but we want cloud native we want to take advantage of the capabilities that are natively on AWS. Vendor yeah. lock-in.
0: Yeah. Vendor
1: lock-in. The minute you say I'm gonna utilize capabilities that are only available by AWS on their cloud platform, vendor lock in. So so why is it that that there's a big fear of vendor lock in from an ISV provider, but it's not from a cloud provider?
0: No, I mean, it's it's
1: like a schizophrenic world of one is bad, but the same thing on a cloud platform is good.
0: I mean, ultimately, as long as you're not doing everything, and I mean everything by yourself, you're always going to have some level of vendor lock-in. And the only question is that how do you then mitigate your vendor lock-in? How do you actually have a governance structure around your vendors, these vendors that you're afraid to be locked in? That allows you to manage them in a way that you get the best results out of them. So to me, especially in this age of uh, where we have figured, we've already figured out modularization, microservices, uh, cloud services, everything. If you build your architecture correctly, that's that's the level of technical mod- modularity that you need. Then it will become about vendor governance. Uh, and vendor governance is an under underappreciated gift uh, in this industry. And I guess everywhere you need to use vendors. Yes. So, uh, so I think that's, uh, that's an interesting discussion because vendor lock-in you will always have uh, on some level. So I think I, I agree with you.
1: But it's also about being future-proof. Yeah. Right? Sometimes some element of vendor lock-in is not necessarily bad
0: as long as you're future-proof. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. there are people start to talk about vendor locking when something goes wrong. Uh, everything is going <laughs> really fantastic. Then nobody talks about vendor locking. It's just uh, selecting the right partners, right? So, uh, so yeah, uh, it's ultimately about management and uh, managing the the, uh, the performance of uh, of your partners. I think that's the, uh, the you need to find these win win relationships in order to keep it uh, keep it up and running. Yes but moving on uh looking at talking about perceptions i think we had one of the my favorite episodes of of this season which was uh i was shifting gears a little bit which i st- started talking about branding uh, and branding especially in terms of banking and we had uh one of the authors of uh, of the book uh, think like a brand not like a bank uh Liz high uh, on the on the podcast and i this was actually a fun episode to record. I was in the middle of my business trip in London, which is, by the way, a reoccurring theme during this season as well. I seem to be all around the world yes. uh, recording this, as were you uh, later on in the season. So I think this was the beginning of the travel season, so to say, uh, of this year for both of us. And I was in London. Uh, Liz uh, did a great roundup of, of what they wanted to say in the book, and they they brought up some really tangible things for things people working in banks think about as they develop uh, their services and their, and their strategies uh moving forward so so again uh, for, well, it was just like a like a breath of fresh air uh, in the middle of uh, fintech nerdiness uh, in in this uh, season that we had and uh, yeah i i really felt good after after publishing that type of an episode as a refresher i i thought it was a really good discussion it was like
1: you said a change from our normal sort of focus areas it was um, a very different approach almost you know banking and and branding they they've not traditionally sucked together very well And, and she highlighted that as well and i thought it was also good we we went on some some tangents in that discussion some very interesting discussions back to you know advisory capabilities customer centricity um etc very good very good i i agree with you probably one of the best episodes this season
0: yeah absolutely and then moving on we had next we had uh nick root we talked about banking transmuted as the uh as the episode uh title goes and uh, all about embedded finance so uh again bringing up one of the uh one of the uh uh this uh big hype items of of this year and indeed uh, this season so how do you actually uh, do banking as a service how do you build embedded finance propositions and uh, i think nick uh, was one of the exact people right in the middle of all of this as the ceo of intergiro yes uh and uh, the uh, they also they had an e-money license which was always interesting to me i mean uh, i think we mentioned it this couple of times in this uh, during this season, I now work uh, in a company that is providing platforms for mobile money providers in uh, uh, in the emerging markets. And those models look a lot like e-money institutions in Europe. And that's why I found this uh, discussion to be very, very insightful uh, uh, about how do you actually build propositions around uh, this regulatory scheme that they have uh, here in Europe. I, th- I think for me, it pointed out what we to a certain degree
1: already know. but it, it... It's good to repeat it most of the success around embedded finance at the moment around uh, the sort of growth of open banking is very much around payments mm. it's being dominated by payments an awful lot of the disruption is focused on disrupting payments and it has been for quite some time and um, i think we actually still have a long way to go on the disruption of payments when we start looking at cross-border payments we start looking at payments across multiple currencies i think p27 is going to do some interesting things in the nordics and you know with with continued changes and digital currencies and everything else i think we're going to see some real interesting stuff still around embedded finance and
0: and payments I'm going to slightly disagree on that because I think, yeah, because payments is a solved problem to a large extent, especially in the domestic markets uh, in large parts of the world. And of course there's pockets of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, well, corners of the world where it's not as obvious that you will have instant person to person payments available, but you will very soon, even in those countries. Mm. And, and the, uh, the reason I think it's not, as disruptive as people tend to think, is that because the the price point for payments is zero, that is already considered to be commodity. People are not willing to pay to move money around, uh, especially when it's domestic. There is still a perception that you need to pay for the extra effort to move it across currencies and across borders. But uh, especially in domestic P2P, uh, the transfer of money uh, is perceived free. Uh, it is also perceived free to convert money into e-money, for instance, or cash into e-money. Uh, that is perceived free. Uh, and uh, depending a little bit where you are in the world, but in many places, when you pay at a merchant, you don't want to pay an extra fee just for using an electronic payment method mm-hmm. instead of using cash. Uh, so again, who will pay? Uh, will it be the merchants? Who, is somebody going to subsidize the scheme? And that begs the question, whether you do build this, where are you gonna make the profit uh, as the builder of these schemes and i think that's a, that's a, an interesting question that has been solved in different ways uh, all around the world but the common common kind of theme that i hear from fintechs many times is that they seem to think that it's this kind of massive massive trillion dollar business that you get into uh <laughs> which is not true because again in in this uh, day-to-day payments there is hardly any margins left uh in those in that space the and this of course brings the topic of well then you need to build services around this which is actually correct uh but again then the, then what are those services how do you bring the critical mass and if we agree that payments is actually a commodity well that kind of proves my point point. and i would be surprised if you didn't
1: have a very strong point of view on this and, and you know industry leading perspectives considering the job you've got so, you know, <laughs> indeed, I, indeed. I am. I am pleasantly happy that you are. Uh, you are con- contradicting me when it comes yeah. to payments and and the future of payments. Because if you didn't, I I think that your current em- employer would uh, have a
0: problem. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear. Glad to hear. <laughs> but this brings us actually to one of the forums where you, where you probably had a lot of these fun discussions as well, which was the CyboS special that we did. Uh, yes. the uh, so uh, we did an episode just about you being in Cybos because I I didn't get the chance to go unfortunately, uh, but luckily we had our eyes and ears, uh, our man on the ground there uh, to tell us all about Cybos. And uh, again, my takeaway from Cybos is that well, first of all, I miss going there. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting uh, things happening in, in, there, and uh, again, uh, meeting all the people and all the colleagues from different uh, former colleagues from different banks, for example, would have been fantastic. And uh, the you always, run into a lot of very interesting people working on uh, really hands-on uh, of the in this new emerging tech uh, like like metaverse and uh, other important things uh, that we have already talked about even in this episode. And again, the, having access to those people uh, working day to day hands-on on this stuff is uh, always always great. But uh, what's what's your kind of? Uh, Top one or two things uh, from the Cybos event itself, and then maybe even the episode discussion that we had.
1: So I have to be truthfully, horribly honest with you. I was suffering from such bad Cybos fatigue, and been... <laughs> also, also not as a
0: hangover or maybe
1: <laughs> no, not hangovers. I I was permanently running from meetings to meetings to meetings to meetings, and you know there there was. I missed lunch. I was in meetings. I didn't go to any sessions. I was in meetings. Um, I remember. Oh yeah, remember. you were you were in one of
0: the booths with uh, yeah, the yeah. meeting room. No, with
1: no, no air conditioning and everything right. else. I actually cannot remember very much of that episode. I it's <laughs> it's a blank to me, and so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What was my highlights? Actually, my highlights from Cybos was um, again a fantastic return to face to face conferences, Uh, Cybos did a a fantastic job. Um, I have to be truthfully honest and frank and say I am amazed at how much money must have been spent by all of the the companies and vendors and uh, I mean, some of the the booths at Cybos were as big as your apartment. I mean, honestly, they were huge. I'm not going to yeah. mention names, but there, there, there were certain, you know, American-based banks that were there that had stands that were so big. I I was really confused why they had such big stands, but apart from that, uh, for me, fantastic uh, meetings. Uh, met an awful lot of previous guests to our podcast. Um, you know, which was which was great. And some underlying um, trends, themes from Cybos. The first one was Cybos is no longer a payments um, conference. It is a banking conference. It's an industry conference. It's no longer just focused on payments. Secondly, there was actually quite a lot of discussions still about blockchain. Going back to blockchain and Anthony Day and everything else, lots of discussions about blockchain. Blockchain is not dead. Blockchain is still relevant. Uh, lots of the lots of the uh, the vendors there talking about how they're using uh, blockchain. And then the other one, which which I think is going to be a focus for us in in the next season, ESG. Right. Yes. Um, we, that, that was a big a thing problem. at Cybos was, you know, sustainability, ESG, um, environmental, etc. Uh, etc. And um, that's, that's something I really took away from it. I, I have to be very honest before Cybos, ESG was there, but coming away from Cybos, it's become a focus area for, for, for me as well. And I think something we really are going to dive into next
0: year. Yes, and I think we're going to bring in some perspectives from outside Europe and even North America, because, again, financial inclusion is one of the ESG targets, Uh, as we all know. Uh, but good uh, again paul so maybe you can listen to the episode again so you remember what you talked about <laughs> i will do i will do straight after this i will listen to it yes all right which brings us to and uh, we need to speed up because we're, we don't know it's be two hours here talking about all the episodes but we have to mention especially uh sarah Hager from uh, from my former colleague from nordia bank who came on episode seven to talk about how to build a community in uh in open banking and i think this was interesting because the uh, Again, Nordea was one of the first banks, especially in the Nordics, even in Europe, uh, that went big into open banking and trying to build this community uh, in, an, in an unlikely environment like a bank. And I think Sarah uh, brought some very tangible uh, perspectives uh, and uh, experience on how to, how to get all that done in a very difficult environment. Uh, and yeah, it was always, always good to talk with Sarah.
1: It, absolutely. And, and it was like uh, three friends getting together for a, <laughs> yeah, for a virtual chat. Right. Um, I I worked with her for a substantial amount of time when uh, the open banking was being um, set up and you were part of all of that as well. So a great discussion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was, again exchanging war stories and experiences. I hope the uh, audience was able to kind of uh, keep up with the uh, with the episode as we kind of started uh, started to reminisce a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that we worked on. Uh, all of us worked on. So, yeah, it's uh, sometimes fun to bring these types of guests, uh, especially when they are as good as Sarah. Yes. Good. Then moving on, uh, the next one we had uh, Jeff Parker, and I think this was one of the. Uh, Highlights of uh, of this season again. Marquetta uh, is a fantastically well known player in the fintech space. Uh, they are everywhere. Uh, if you listen to any fintech podcast, you hardly can get away with that brand name. And again, Jeff Parker, as the head of international uh, for Marquetta, brought us a very good view into. A into how do you actually expand beyond your home market? How do you how do you uh, navigate the regulatory landscape as an international company over multiple jurisdictions? And this is a very interesting discussion, especially when you're working in fintechs with, that are trying to reach beyond uh, just your home uh, jurisdiction. So again, one of the more content-heavy episodes, I would say, for this season. It was, it was
1: fairly content-heavy, very good discussion. Um really enjoyed it again i mean Maqueta payments um you keep telling me payments is is a dead space now so let's see what <laughs> happens to to marketer right um but i i thought it was it was a really good discussion really interesting And i think like you said most fintechs that are coming out with a capability that they want to replicate they suddenly very quickly realize that uh, regional differences and regulatory uh, differences makes it very difficult to to generically replicate capabilities across regions across countries across geographies and that becomes worse and worse the closer you get to the core of any bank and any bank's processes so it's it's easy if you're on the periphery and you're just doing something simple but I also think this is going to become a a force that drives complexity back into the whole world of banking as a service and and embedded finance etc how do you deliver that on a global scale with the complexities of regional differences and compliance differences etc right
0: yeah exactly and uh, and i think especially episodes like this and guests like jeff I mean, this is the reason why many of our listeners listen to our podcast because they get this perspective, so I I definitely if you missed it, uh, please have a listen, I think it was uh, again very educational uh, episode uh, from a very from a very practical standpoint, I have to say. And this brings us to our previous episode, which was the last guest we had for this year, uh, which was uh, maybe not as content or fact heavy as, as we have, we had with Jeff, but it was certainly entertaining and definitely one of my favorite episodes ever, maybe. <laughs> and this was uh, the uh, my friend uh, and colleague at Mobi Forum, Amir Topakovich, uh who was the, uh, he's the chairman of the, uh, Working group uh, at Mobi Forum for uh, privacy-enhancing technologies, and we have a long history together with Amir. And I was uh, I was kind of looking forward to bringing him as a guest to the podcast for a long time, uh, and uh, it felt like the right place to do it right now. Uh, and uh, it was uh, it was definitely a fun episode. Uh, he's uh, as I referred to, uh, as we referred to in the episode description, is maybe the most interesting man in fintech. Uh, so I think it's uh, he has a very very colorful background. And, uh, and really great uh, perspectives into, especially towards data and AI. Yes, and it's
1: probably, you know, my <laughs> my my highlight from that episode is, is him talking about his reaction of the very first time he was in a business related environment in Finland. He ended up, as he put it, almost <laughs> naked, <laughs> almost <laughs> naked, which means naked <laughs> in a Finnish sauna, right? That was, that. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the, my highlights that I take away from that whole discussion, and it it's partially because it 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 sparked up some memories for me uh, when I when I moved with IBM from UK to Sweden. Uh, one of the first projects I I ended up on, which oh, relating back to you, was actually with with uh, Nokia, right, and very quickly after getting into the nokia project it was coming up towards the end of the year so i ended up on in a in a party and there i was almost naked in a sauna and i know
0: exactly (laughs) how amir felt Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I still have the because Mobi Forum was the event, of course, where uh, Amir was uh, joining for the first time in Helsinki, yeah. and uh, Mobi Forum uh, had this uh, Mobi Forum branded towels uh, that they were handing out, and uh, I, I still have my Mobi Forum towel somewhere in my in my uh, in my storage. Uh, so yeah, that's a nice, nice memories for sure. But again, we also learned a lot in that episode. So we did. So it's it's I not mean, all, yeah. all, all just not all sound and fun and jokes there's a lot of them in that episode but the uh, what it said it was a uh, uh, perspectives into uh, privacy enhancing technologies and data sharing uh, in this uh, regulated environment which is the focus of the working group that I'm also co-chairing uh, with Amir. But it, so, actually, uh, it actually takes us
1: full loop back to where we started from on, on this episode because we also talked quite a lot about AI and the use of AI in in banking then and it's interesting to have Done that episode and then the explosion of chat gpt right the, the, there yes. is synergy there and an alignment between that episode and and what's happened
0: yeah absolutely so yeah coming to full circle uh, again now we are in this episode and we're uh, almost out of beers which means that uh, we need to uh, wrap up the episode hey, as well. right. yes <laughs> well, nearly nearly done merry christmas indeed. indeed merry christmas to you as well and cheers hey
1: Actually, you you hosted this episode, you didn't do it at the start, you never asked me, we've come to
0: the end, I'm going to do it. you got a joke for us. Oh, yeah, I do. And the reason I didn't bring up in the beginning, because you told me before we started recording that you don't have a joke. So again, I'm going to do the joke now because you're asking for it. I'm going to tell it now in the end, right? So how do you know when it's raining money?
1: Uh, Because the song comes, oh no, that's men. That's raining men, that's not money. Um, I have no idea.
0: Yeah, you know when there's a change in the weather.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Rewind. (laughs) Want to do it again? No, no, no. We're not going to do it. No, no, no. Because the the worst it is the uh, better it is right so and again a a weather related joke and uh, that has a connection to money it was perfect for this episode because again there is a snowstorm going on here in uh, southern finland right now so i think it's just appropriate if nothing else yes
1: yeah i i'm actually i am i'm i'm almost scared about my um my girlfriend who has to, to drive to work a little bit later tonight with the storm going on out there. So I, mm-hmm. I hope everything's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. So uh, then there's a cliffhanger for you. So season seven, zero uh, episode one, we will hear. Did Paul's girlfriend make it to work uh, in the snowstorm? Uh, so exactly. You yes. have to in now uh, in season seven. Yeah. Perfect. So that's that. About does it uh, for season six of uh, of Intact Daydreaming. Uh, did you have any final anecdotes, fun stories, or uh, conclusions that you wanted to share, Paul? Before we wrap it up,
1: conclusions. Um, yes, not anecdotes, but conclusions. Um, I th- I have absolutely loved doing this. I think doing this podcast is one of the the most fantastic things that I have done in my adult life. Um, I want to continue doing this. I, I love the attention and feedback we're getting from our listeners. I absolutely adore the guests that are willing to spend an hour to talk to us about what they see as being their passion and and they burn for, which is fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about trying to find a way to, to say thank you to our our listeners and I'm, I'm very closely there um in the process since we started the podcast uh things have sort of moved on one of the things that has happened is that both of us have have updated our our technologies and everything else and you know we both have migrated to these fantastic microphones that uh, that are helping us and yeah. we've got what yeah yeah we've got one of the old microphones from when we started so i'm thinking that for uh season seven we're going to take that microphone we're going to sign it from you and me and we're going to give it away we just need to think about the the competition for it right but yeah here comes here comes the good part of it we will give it away to someone during the towards the end of season seven but what we will be looking for is that the winner not only answers whatever it is that we give us a challenge but that they've also left us a comment on our youtube for every episode in season seven up until that point point. and it doesn't matter what the comment is it could be a thumbs up it could be a love this or something else but they must have left a comment so this is this is a heads up, and we'll check now whether we've got some good listeners. If you leave a comment on every episode of season seven up until the point that we're going to do the giveaway of the microphone signed by Villa and myself, you stand a chance of winning it.
0: Absolutely. And I'm thinking, and let's think about this, but I think we should maybe bring that person on for a few minutes to a podcast episode that we're going to, when we uh, announce the winner. So we're going to bring that person on. Uh, and uh, say okay. a few words uh, yes. about the, uh, about winning uh, the uh, the award. I love the idea, Paul. There's actually a news flash to me as well. I, I like I love the idea, and uh, we're definitely uh, gonna do that. Let's just figure out uh, over some Christmas, over our Christmas breaks, that how we're actually gonna. What does the challenge look like? I love it. Yes. Perfect. Uh, and again, reflection from my side. Again, I couldn't agree more. I'm I'm constantly amazed by the uh, amount, amount of attention that your dear listeners are giving giving to us. Uh, I I sometimes I feel like we do this just for fun and just to talk talk to super interesting people. But then I'm amazed that people actually are listening to us, and that's, that's, uh, that's uh, really, really the best compliment that you can have. Uh, we saw the numbers, 75% growth during this season, uh, which is incredible. Uh, we have listeners in over 30 countries, which is, again, just amazing. And uh, again, I cannot thank you enough, uh, listeners. Uh, please keep on listening. I hope we're able to be interesting to you in the future as well. And uh, looking forward to all the upcoming seasons of uh, fintech of Daydreaming. And uh, th- thanks to you, Paul, as well. I think uh, you're doing a great job at producing this, really, doing a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the back end of this show. So uh, So I really appreciate all of your effort in keeping this up. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Yes. We go. Yes. Merry Christmas. Yes. Merry Christmas. <laughs> now I'm going to go off and edit this video so that we can publish it. Perfect. Yes. Good. So this turned out to be a long episode. I hope you were still hanging with uh, with us there. And uh, but I promise this is the end. So we're going to wrap it up now. We have done the joke. We have done the run through. And the only thing left here is to say uh, say that uh, please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. As we have already established, we need those comments, we need those reviews and especially when they're five stars. They are much appreciated. We do not get paid for this uh, and uh, we want to continue providing your content. All we need is your attention, a little bit of love in terms of likes and uh, reviews. That will keep us running. uh, That will keep us happy over Christmas and New Year's. And we will see you next year for season seven uh, of Fintech Daydreaming. This is FinTech Daydreaming.